Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Apologies, we're running a little bit late. I came onto the stream and nearly deafened Paul in the process. Some uh, audio gremlins, but hopefully we're sounding a little bit better now. Um, uh, you might see I'm joined by the one and only Paul John Dykes. How are you doing, Paul? I'm very well. I was just saying that. It's, uh, I do enjoy coming on as your guest, Laura. So invite me on more often. That's what I'm going to say. Well, I will do. I will do if you're... Uh, I, I would do if you weren't running about here and there doing music festivals and interviews and all sorts of stuff. You seem to be doing those on a Friday a lot, so I don't get the chance very much. It's good fun. Um, for anybody who's wondering, obviously, when we originally set up a state of mind, it was always the intention to cover all forms of football, music, media, culture, art, 
uh, and everything in between. But we couldn't do a lot of that, Laura, could we, during the, the, the lockdown? So we were kind of stuck to our seat in the studio doing live streaming. That's where we discovered that there was a community out there who wanted to talk about Celtic every day, so we're going to keep doing that every single day. And uh, in the meantime, as you say, bouncing about festivals and shopping centres and anything else that I need to do to obviously get the video features that we want to get. So we were in Manchester earlier this week, which was great fun, meeting a, a bit of a, a legend in the Hacienda uh, era, Dave Haslam. So that interview will be with you very, very soon. I'm still waiting for the, the documentary feature on Westlife, folks, but I promise you it will be it will be available at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> Did I tell you? I met them one time. That's, that's another story for another podcast. <laughs> I hope you treated them well. They're my boys. They're my boys. They, they were kind of <laughs> unknown at that point. It was in an airport. Oh, well, there mm-hmm. we go. Like, we'll go into that at another time. That's, that's a whole other show. Uh, but um, as Paul touched on, there's a lot of content on the channel, football-related and otherwise. So in order to help us get it out there, please hit a like on this, uh, this video. Uh, the Friday Club are good at hitting the like button. I, ha- I happen to see... Um, whether it's my reminders or not, it really does help the channel get out there and subscribe if you haven't done. Again, totally free of charge. The word subscribe's a bit uh, misleading, but if you do that for us, not only does it mean that you'll get notified every time we go live, but it means that we'll get out to more people on the channel. We'll continue to grow, which obviously we would love to happen. Um, but we'll get back to what we're here to talk about on a Celtic State of Mind, the bread and butter of a Celtic State of Mind, Paul, which is, of course, Celtic. Um I've not had a chance to talk to you much about it over the past few weeks, but how, in general, have you seen the pre-season going? What's been your impression of how things have gone? I'm going to hang my hat on that quote um, that Ange made in relation to they're not preparing to win. uh, They're not there to win matches in pre-season. They're preparing to win matches. And I think that pre-season can give you a a false sense of where you are sometimes. Um, I remember a a pre-season where we beat a team 21-0 and um, check it on the wicket, it was incredible. And But there's other pre-seasons that aren't so great that turn out to be fantastic seasons. And I'll, I just have to go back to the centenary year. My first ever game was against Liverpool in the Tommy Burns testimonial, and they beat us 1-0. But, um, you know, the following week, Arsenal beat us 5-1. And mm-hmm. you're looking at that, because there was a, a real overhaul of the squad back then. Big Billy had come back in to be the manager, and you, you weren't that positive going into the new season and everybody knows what happened but um, I think this time round it was all about having a look at the the new arrivals Laura and um, we've spoken quite a bit on Axom about the players who we were introduced to during the season last season but I think we're going to see different beasts entirely and I'm talking about Matt O'Reilly and Rio Atati and and Dyson Maeda and I think we've seen enough flashes of they guys and by the way I think also up to his absence, I thought Yakamakis was looking like he was showing the version two, the V2 of the player he can be for Celtic. And mm. I'm excited, as excited about those guys as I am about the new arrivals. Um, yeah. I think that, I think there's a lot there that, you know, like you said, there's there's some freshness that we're hoping to get from the from the players who maybe had a bit of a slower start or maybe only came in at New Year. And Rio Hitati is one of them who we'll go into. Michael Ross kind of comes in with a bit more of a, a, a certified opinion that pre-season means nothing, which I suppose it doesn't. Because, I mean, we you mentioned the 21-0 game, but we had that last pre-season as well. We'd played well in a few games and then um, got absolutely battered 6-2 by, by West Ham back at Celtic Park. So it can happen. I think the um, the two games... 
against uh, English opposition at home. I, I was getting a wee bit concerned after the Preston game as well. I just didn't think we looked anywhere near where we had to be. And of course, a big part of that was the fact that we had the qualifiers, Laura, and the pre-season uh, time was was so minute between the, the end of the season to the to the, the first competitive game. So, although, yeah, I, I agree to a degree, when you get pumped off West Ham 6-2 and you've got a goalie who doesn't know how to look after his near post, it does become a concern because you think to yourself, we've not got a long enough period to put those things right. This time around, um, fitness, as I say, looking at the version two of a lot of the players um, and also bedding in the new players. And when we look at, as I'm sure we will at some point during the show, your kind of predicted 11s, it's going to be mm-hmm. interesting because, yeah, I know Jota and CCV are, are classed as new players, but there's not going to be a great deal of change in the starting lineup as there was to last season, is there? I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I was just thinking about it there. Like, I've not even thought really about my predicted 11 before today. And, uh, but actually, when I think about it, regardless of the new signings, I think there will be people coming in who who might, you know, like establish their place in the team. But I very much am in agreement with you that I think it will probably be very much of a muchness compared to last season, which in its own way is a good thing because we've managed. That means we've managed to secure signings like Jota, Maeda, uh, Carter Vickers, who, if you'd told us before the pre-season would happen then then we'd be delighted with that but we will get on to doing that in, in a second before we move on to the first talking point which was going to be the re-emergence of Rio Hitate before we do that you touched on a point there that is an interesting one to me the fact we've not had um, Champions League qualifiers this pre-season which has been such a regular feature of our pre-seasons before now if you'd asked me at any other time any other year I'd have said that's an advantage not to have that do you think in some ways we've lacked a little bit of get up and go because we haven't had that competitive edge to the games or do you still think it's an advantage not to have to go through that? I think overall it's an advantage. I guess you could look at some of the the uh, nuances of that as well, Laura, but I just think you know we've not had, as Paddy McGulp said on a Tuesday, we've not had that Champions League music at Celtic Park for five years mm. and it's absolutely no coincidence that in those five years we've always sold at least one big asset. So this pre-season, you know, we're looking forward to the Champions League music being played at Celtic Park and we've not lost an asset. And I think that is massive. So, yeah, I know what you mean. It's almost as if you you can take your time uh, to get ready in the morning sometimes, you know what I mean? And that's what it feels like a wee bit here. But I think they'll be fine-tuned enough by the time 4.30 comes on Sunday. But I do think there's definitely that correlation between no Champions League music at Celtic Park for five years, yet we've sold assets every single season within that period. This time round, we're in Champions League groups, no sales. That's how big that is for us. Yeah, it's. I can't remember the name of the rule, but there's apparently some ruling work that you you extend the work you have to do to the timeline to fit it, and uh, I think I'm definitely... Uh, <sighs> Definitely guilty of that at times, but um, I work better under a deadline. But hopefully, hopefully, Ange is the same. Um, John Bossa says on YouTube, unbelievable to think that CCV and Jota are full time Celtic players. And as we touched on there, and as you've said there, Paul, it's like you know, that alone would have been enough for a lot of Celtic fans going into this season to have those players um, permanently in the squad. But another player I wanted to talk about specifically um, is Rio Hitati. You know, he came onto the scene in January. 
absolutely hit the ground running, scored those two goals against Rangers in a very Lubomir Manavci-esque way. Instant Celtic hero, but he did fall off towards the end of last season. Dipped a little bit in terms of form, was certainly looking tired. And when you consider the fact he's basically nearly played two years of consistent football, um, by the time the end of the season came, um, that's understandable to see why. But we have seen him come a bit more back into the fore as one of the the, the higher quality players we have at the club in the preseason. Do you think? Do you think that rest period has made a difference for him? Do you think we're going to see a different player this season? I think that this is going to be a massive part of what we're talking about earlier, Laura, with the players who we've seen glimpses of, but we haven't seen them playing for a full season consecutively. So you've got a guy in Rio Atati, like you say, who I think could play the season and a half with no rest. He spoke about how that affected him physically, mentally, uh, emotionally, how drained I think he looked when you look at some of the later performances compared to the first. I mean, when he hit the ground, I remember talking to JP that week and he was saying, let's calm down because people were going on about him being the next £25 million player going out to Celtic Park. But JP was very cautious because you say, he said, you know, we've only seen wee glimpses of this fella, uh, 24 years of age. And I think Alan Morrison pointed out, you look at the amount of senior football he's played, not a great deal. He hasn't played a great deal of senior football because of his passage. It wasn't, you know, football academy and then into the first team. Um, so he didn't start playing senior until a couple of seasons ago. He's not, you know, used to the rigours of the Scottish Premiership. And um, I think, though, if we we're going to use this pre-season, um, with everything that's already been said, as a marker on how Hatati's going to look this season, I think it fills me with a lot of optimism. Um, I mean, the way that he... Someone very usefully went into the Norwich um, highlights and basically done a highlights reel of Rio Atati, and i seen it on Twitter. Uh, the way he was breaking up play, Laura, I mean, we're going about needing defensive midfield players, but a lot of what he done against Norwich, I think, was overshadowed with the piercing passes, the cross-field passes it was making. But a lot of his defensive play was excellent against Norwich. And um, I think what we've got in Hatate is a player that we've only seen a version of him last year and we're going to see a different, more improved, fitter, high-tempo version of Hatate this year. It's it's an interesting thing that you point out there because I think, certainly in my mind and in a lot of people's minds who I speak to, he seems to be very much an attacking threat. We've seen him bang in goals from the edge of the box consistently. As you touched on, he's got distribution that, that a lot of players would kill for, but that that aspect of his game where he can break up the play is something that's going to be vital for us, especially if we're looking to to set David Turnbull and and, and Matt O'Reilly and the like free um, going forward. Do you think he can be a? Do you think Hatati can be a, a reliable sort of defensive mid for us, or is that asking a little bit too much of him? Well, I think one of the big questions um, through the the preseason has been how what's the makeup of this midfield? Laura, we've got such quality in the midfield, and we've added to that. Uh, obviously we lost two players but we have added it uh, to that with Aaron Moy and I've previously said that he's got elements of Rogic and of Beaton in his play so I guess what you're looking at is the makeup of that and how you want McGregor to play because a lot of people say he's wasted if he's a defensive mid you know he flourishes more going forward and I don't think it's going to be as simple as that I think that uh, Ange Postacoglu is going to be looking at both the players not so much O'Reilly but both Hatati and McGregor sharing the load, if you like, you know. So you've seen some of the qualities that Hatati has defensively. And I know that when he signed, people are saying, you know, he can play left back. And I think that's like saying, 
McGregor can play left back because he played a few games there. You don't want to play either of those two players left back, but it shows that they do have the defensive qualities required to break up the play in the midfield. And I think both of them, I would suggest, are better as offensive players, but they've both shown um, that their defensive prowess is something that um, I think can bode well for the future. You look at some of the games that, that McGregor basically grabbed by the scruff of the neck last season when we went a goal down early uh, to Rangers mm-hmm. uh, and he is going back to play. He's breaking up plays, winning the ball and he's starting attacks from defence and that transition, I think, you're going to see a big part of McGregor's play this season and you're also going to see that with Hatati, the transition from defence to attack. And these guys, I mean, particularly Hatati, he can pick a ball up in his own half, break break up play, but then switch it, switch the wing, play play Jota in, for example, um, and cross, you know, the crossfield passes for me. There, there's certain players who can do that. There's other ones who should never try it. And I think, um, you know, Hatati's crossfield passes are up there. And I remember Van Dijk used to do it um, with, with, with very little, it would appear, effort and he would ping the ball at Celtic Park from one end to the other, and Hatati can do that as well. So I don't think anything is, is that simple with Ange. I think he'll be looking for the pair of them to do a lot of the defensive work and a lot of the offensive work as well, Laura. Yeah. Inter- interchange. I think so. I think so. Gary Malone brings up an interesting point on YouTube here, says Hatati plays risky passes. If he's on form, it's breathtaking, but when he's off form, it can look horrendous. We need to play more risky passes, though, so hopefully he can stay fit and well. And I think that's that's something that I I really like about him is, you know, I, I'm willing to give players a bit of leeway as far as riskiness goes if if more often than not they pull off the incredible and you can see, you know, a player who can make a real difference, who can find that pass, because so often against teams, especially um, before Ange came along and in Ange's early days, actually, when we were against teams who, you know, banked their defence in midfield against us, we found them hard to break down. Very often it was because we didn't have a player willing to take a risk and if we've got ones like Hatati who can do that, then surely that's going to make your Livingstons and Kilmarnocks of this world a bit more of a a, a bit easier of a task to overcome. You know, there are so many occasions during the season where you're up against that pack defence and you want someone to take a risk. And, and there was, you know, a frustration crept in previously um, with the previous regime where we weren't taking enough of these risks, you know, and it was like you're coming up against that bank at the, and, and we ran out of ideas. I don't think we're going to be in that position. We've got enough players in the likes of O'Reilly, Turnbull, Hatati, and then you then you start talking about the wingers. You know, take a risk, take, take a player on, swing the ball. And we weren't taking risks two seasons ago, uh, but now we've got a whole host of players who are willing to do that. And I think there's going to be occasions where defences just won't be able to live with Celtic, you know, once we start turning that screw, Laura, domestically at least. The European thing, something we'll talk about, but um, domestically, I think we're, you know it's a frightening prospect because this argument about Celtic standing still, you know, spending thirteen million to stand still is a nonsense mm. because the players that we have are a year older and wiser, and then you know they've got the success behind them, which does brilliant things for the galvanisation of the team spirit and the morale. Um, the player that we see in Jota so far in the pre-season and flashes yeah. could could be a better version again. Uh, than the player we saw last season, so I'm very excited about the um, the whole process of that. But again, you know, on the eve of the the flag day, on the eve of day one of the new season, Laura, you're all they're always a wee bit of trepidation. Um, you know, you know, how's it going to go? And I remember one of the games against Aberdeen, uh, we ended up winning one 0 Chris Commons, and it was a bit of a damp squib. 
and that can sometimes happen. I just want a result. Um, however, I would love to see that performance that, you know, we've seen in the preseason for first halves, maybe first half hours, uh, when the, the strongest lineups on the park and it has looked high tempo, it's been attractive to watch. But obviously he's chopped and changed his hand, she's chopped and changed the personnel. But um, I'm looking forward to it on Sunday and I don't think many teams will live with us domestically this year. Yeah, I'm hoping so. Uh, and certainly I don't think standing still is something you can accuse us of when we are bringing in new players as well, like Morris Jens, like like Benabi at the right back, you know, or left back, sorry. And we are looking to, to make those make those changes and strengthen the squad in the areas we need to strengthen them. Um, Urban Culture comes in and says, need to go early today, working over the weekend, be back here come Tuesday, 5-0 up and top of the league. Hoping so, Urban Culture. Uh, not one to predict the future, but I hope it happens. Speaking of new signings, I was I was at Celtic Park uh, last week, as you well know, um, Paul John. Speaking, who were you? Who were you chatting to this time, Laura? This time, this time it was my mate, Big Moritz Jens. Uh, got a handshake and everything off him when he was leaving Brilliant. the room. So he was a, he was an absolute gent. Uh, it was a it was a pleasure to meet him and speak to him. Although I did set eyes rolling with my question, I have to say, because I, I decided to go down the old Matt, Matt O'Reilly route. But he did have interesting things to say about Matt O'Reilly. My my question had been try to be a little bit more introspective and a little bit more interesting in asking him how much uh, Jens himself had improved as a player since the last time they were teammates at Fulham. But he turned the answer on its head and was very complimentary of Matt O'Reilly, saying that he'd blown up last year and you know that he had become a real fan favourite here, which I, I don't think uh, anybody is in doubt of. Um, talking about the midfield that we've talked about, we've talked about Hatati, but Matt O'Reilly... I mean, it's only come to the fore in terms of discussions again because of Yentz coming in and talking about O'Reilly himself. But Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. This week on the Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct to consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I mean, I, I, I can't see him being anything other than a first choice player in the team next season. Can you? No, I, I totally agree with that, and particularly now that Rogic has left the building, and that again, you know, we could dedicate podcasts to the big man, Tommy Rogic, I'd have kept him, um, for argument's sake, I definitely would have kept him, but I think JP made a good point yesterday again about Rogic, about we've probably got an extra year out of him that we didn't expect under Ange, yeah. and Ange is maybe thinking, right, I've got the maximum I can get out of this guy, and it's time for him to move on, where he did ends you, up. Did you see him wandering the airport in the background of that Loved One Direction it. photo? Loved it. <laughs> Absolute full credit to anybody who spotted that kind of stuff because I, I thought it was a Cold War Steve moment where someone had just placed him there, but <laughs> it, it was genuine. Uh, obviously, swaggering about with a bit of Louis Vuitton and all that kind of stuff. I was looking but, the part, I have to say. I 
he always looks apart, doesn't he? Um, but Matt, going back to Matt O'Reilly, what I like about him and Maurice Jens, and this comes from Peter Grant, ex-Celtic player, of course, um, is the fact that they were so ambitious in their early years. They were so, um, you know, full of belief. And, and a lot of people think this arrogance. Full of belief in terms of their own ability, Laura, that, you know, they both left the club. They both left Fulham. Maurice Jens had to go abroad. Um, mm-hmm. He had to leave Fulham. And we know the story about Matt O'Reilly doing the same. They wanted first-team football. They wanted the experience at a very young age, which is bold, it's brave to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've gone and done it, and now they're they're obviously coming together again as uh, football often brings players back together, and it's done it with these two guys. And, of course, Jens has spoken about the fact that he spoke to O'Reilly, and O'Reilly was going banging on about Celtic, banging the hands, drum. Um, and I think we've got a player in, in Jens that, a few people raised their eyebrows saying he didn't have a great season last year um, and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, it, again, with, with the fact that we've brought him in on loan, we've started using the loan deal so much better than we have done before. And you think to yourself, is history repeating itself? Are we getting another player of that calibre that we got last season in Carter Vickers? And if so, then we've won a watch. And I think that, um, you know, it's unfortunate that he might be injured for, for Sunday uh, because I was going I was looking forward to seeing him in domestic action. Whether or not he leapfrogged Stephen Welsh, I guess, is another discussion point. You know, would he have would he have jumped right into that first team? What would that have done to Welsh's confidence after he's basically been called upon since the uh, injury to Starfelt? But um, I think that it would have been a wee bit unfair, but at the same time, it would have been good to see minutes in Jensie's legs on Sunday. Yeah, I would have. I would have been in. in full favour of seeing that um, the Stephen Welsh is an interesting one and one I'm sure we'll get into as the season goes on because I have to say I've always been a big fan of Stephen Welsh and, and I'm not really sure he's put a foot wrong for anybody to leapfrog him but obviously we don't see him every day in training and, and what that could possibly be um, Brian Murphy says on YouTube we should re-sign Tom Rogic he still hasn't got a club I can dream can't I I, I would love to see it personally and I never thought I'd said, say that before last season but I think uh, if you if you go by what Tommy said when he was leaving last season, I think he's going to be quite settled in Australia at this point, so it's it's a dream that I don't think is going to come true, unfortunately. Um, talking about the fact that Jens is injured, um, Idiguchi's another one who we thought would feature in some form against Aberdeen. Um, it looks as if he's injured as well. There's a little bit of me that's uh, apprehensive about that because we all know the injury record we had last season the people we saw pulling up at various points or dropping out through through training is this just a, an isolated unfortunate incident with these two guys or do you think this is you know something that's going to be an ongoing concern into this season well I, I really hope it's the former because I think that really affected everything last year you even go back to the um, pre-season summer transfer window, Laura, and moves being made based on the injury of Julian. Because if I remember correctly, we expected Julian back in September. So we go out there and we bring in, we, obviously it worked out brilliantly for us, but we bring in a lone player in Carter Vickers on the last day of the transfer window, simply because it became clear near the end of that transfer window that the uh, recuperation uh, of Julian was slower than we expected and we know that it didn't quite happen in September and it moved into the latter part of the year so I think the injuries were massive um, particularly in the first part you know you look at Yakamakis uh, the injury problems that he had 
which basically made us play an 18-year-old untested B-team player against St Johnston on Boxing Day uh, after Kyogo pulled up. We only played Kyogo because another player was injured and we probably shouldn't have played him. And obviously then he had a bit of a long-term, kind of medium-term injury. So, yeah, I do hope it's just a couple of niggles. Uh, and... You know, particularly with Adiguchi, because I feel a bit sorry for him. He's a guy that's been put into the shadows by mm-hmm. Maeda um, and also Hatate, who we've already spoken about. He came in, the, the three of them came came in together. High-caliber player, reputation, um, had been on the books at Leeds United, second crack at British football, and it's not really got started for him. And again, a lot of people have said that he's not really done much. I've liked what I've seen of Adiguchi. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a first pick. Um, but you know he's a player that Ange knows well and I think he's probably or he would have been ahead of James McCarthy in the pecking order had he not been injured Uh, hopefully he gets fit and quickly because you know then it starts to affect the player mentally doesn't it you know the stop start nature of his Celtic career and you want you just want him to get games you want him to get uh, a run of games and you want to see what he can do for us yeah it's it's an interesting one and I'm going to put you on the spot here because I've got you in my sights on this podcast, so I'm going to I'm going to ask you the question because Brian and I were on last Friday, and there were some comments saying we were being a bit harsh on Idiguchi with some of the comments we were making because, as you've said, there people have liked what they've seen when he's played. But I guess, um, and I don't want to put words in Brian's mouth; she's not here to defend himself. But I guess from my point of view, you know, frequent injuries is a feature of being a player if you can't keep yourself fit or if your body doesn't allow you to stay fit that is as much of a feature of your of your contribution to the team as anything that you do on the park do you think when do you think comes a point for us where we have to say you know he's he's a bit injury prone he's not reliable in that sense and and therefore we can't you know count on him as a player that we can rely on regardless of how good he is on the pitch or am I being too harsh do you think there? Well I, I go back to a few conversations I've had with players who played under Alex Ferguson and I, I remember uh, Chalky saying that he did not want players in that squad who would be that type of player you had to be fit so when when players didn't look after themselves there was a correlation between that and them all, always being on the treatment table so when I, and I'm not saying Adekuchi is one of them, but Alex Ferguson had this rule that if you were injured, then you were no good to him. And I think that uh, Jock Steen was quite ruthless when it came to that as well. Mm. If you were injury prone, then he wasn't interested in you. And you would find yourself playing with what they called the stiffs or the reserve team. And then effectively you would be frozen out and moved on. And I'd, I, I'm not saying that's what we should be doing. We had a Gucci, but there will come a point, I think, maybe that will be reassessed at the end of this season. Has yeah. he adapted to the Scottish game? Has he adapted? And at that point, a decision will be made. But um, I, th- I still think he's in the plans at this stage. Um, and we'll reassess it. Julien would be that player for me. Julien yeah. would be that player that I think he's not going to play enough games. He's not going to be fit enough. He's not going to be able to play at the, the highest tempo. And again, I might be criticised for saying that because I've seen a few comments coming in saying, no, Julien's part of the, the, the plans. He's, I, I'm not convinced he is. I think that Julien is holding up a transfer. That's what I would say. He's holding up moves. I think a jetty is holding up moves at Celtic. And um, that could be frustrating, I guess, for a manager as well. I, I'm pretty sure that given a chance, he'll offload Mikey Johnson, Julien and a jetty and bring in maybe two players at that stage so 
maybe not. I'm not going to say you're being harsh, but I think that my view on that is far more towards the Julien type of player and mm. the fact that you know what he's never got started since he came back from injury. Time to go, and maybe a question mark over James McCarthy, even though he's fit. Yeah, um, Carlin says Idiguchi got hacked down against Aloha. Can't stop that. So he's maybe more along the lines of of your line of thinking that kind of thing of Idiguchi's maybe not the injury prone player that we might be talking about there, but he is um, has been unfortunate with some of the things that have happened. I do agree that I think Mikey Johnson and and certainly Chris Julian since that big knee injury are more the type of player that you maybe can't rely on just because their bodies aren't you know maybe built for the type of game that. That we're trying to play. Um, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I think now that you brought it up, the Julian situation is an interesting one um, because if we take him and a Yeti uh, into account, and and obviously money's a big factor in this as well. But is there any other reason for you that you think they would be potentially holding up a move other than they just don't feel it's right for them at the time? Because you know. If I, if I was Christopher Julian, for example, I would I would jump at the chance of a move to a club like Schalke. They're they're pretty pretty big team playing one of the top five five leagues in Europe. You know, any chance he would have to go there and get a career back on track that has been you know put off course through no fault of his own really. Um, I I think that would be a great opportunity, and I have to say. I didn't hear anything uh, to say that it was necessarily the club's decision, but I was very shocked when it fell through because I thought it was a great opportunity for him. Absolutely. Um, And I think, you know, again, it's been raised that I'm obsessed with his Instagram post. I'm not obsessed with it. I think it's relevant. It's relevant in that the player probably believed that the deal was on, the deal was going to go through. Um, And maybe at that point he's checked out. Can he check back in? Well, of course he can. But, you know, we don't know for sure what actually happened, What, why that broke down. The club are never going to come out and say he's failed a medical because then it's going to be a struggle to get him another club. Mm. Um, then, obviously, if you're doing a, a loan deal with the permanent option at the end of it, you're talking at the loan stage about what your wages are going to be in year two when you become a permanent player. That has been suggested as being the issue and it's broken down. We're talking about two players that cost us 12 million quid. They yeah. would have come. They would have come in, Laura, on big wages, both of them, um, and it's about. And again, Jet is a strange one because he's hardly an old player. Julian's getting to that late twenties, moving into his thirties. Jet is nowhere near that, and mm. he he he'll be looking at his next move very carefully because he's had two flops in a row. Big money move from Basel to West Ham didn't work out. Big money move from West Ham itself it didn't work out. This is a guy who's an international footballer who scored a lot of goals in his native country. And the next move he makes is going to be crucial to him getting his career back on track. So I just think there's there's a wee bit of that as well. Um, both players, I'm pretty sure because of the cost of their wages, it will be a loan with an option to buy at the end of it. How much are the players doing to uh, hold that up? It's difficult to say. I hope that's not the case because, you know, for the benefit of their careers, Laura, they need to move on, both of them. Yeah, I think one thing's for certain, it's not going to benefit them or the club for them to sit on the on the bench or even worse, not on the bench uh, in Glasgow when they could be getting football elsewhere. But uh, if Angie's uh, suggestions are anything to go by this week, certainly a Yeti looks like uh, there will be a move in the offing for him of some description before the, the transfer window closes. And we all know it, Ange doesn't say anything by accident, so um, it'll be interesting to see if and when that happens. Um, moving ahead to... 
obviously this weekend um, we've got Aberdeen in the opener of the, the league season. Strangely enough, and I'm going to bring up this comment um, from Magnet67, ridiculous kickoff time. Once again, TV telling us what to do and we should just accept it. Despite the pit and sky throat is we should stand firm and say no. I don't know that I agree with all, all of that sentiment, but what I will say is I do agree that I think it's a bit of a strange kickoff time for the champions to be kicking off at half past four on a Sunday in the opening weekend of the season. Mm. I mean, I, I'm saying this not even, it could be Rangers, it could be Livingston, it could be Hamilton, it could be whoever wins the league. I'm picking names out of a hat there, but you know, were you shocked when the, the, the league listing came out and we saw that fixture just before we even go on to talk about the match? I, I can't believe we're going to have played a, nearly a full round of games before we even see the champions play their first match of the season. I'm never shocked about anything in Scottish football, Laura, because what we've got, right, is we, we're in a, a very small country with two massive, huge brands and two massive clubs, right? And when you're looking at other countries with two huge clubs, they're massive countries. We're not. So we've actually got a product that doesn't match the the support that Scottish football has and also these two huge brands that Scottish football has. And I don't think we've ever managed it properly. Um, The authorities have never, ever managed it properly. The SFA and the league, they've never, ever managed what we've got at our disposal. But what we show time and time again as a football nation is we constantly prove that we do have a very good product. And I just need to go back to the comments made in relation to the the Scottish invasion of Italian football that's ongoing at the moment. And there was a good interview just a few weeks back um, whereby one of the Italian scouts was going on about how criminally underrated Scottish football is. It is criminally underrated and it's criminally undersold. It's like we just take whatever scraps are thrown at us uh, when you look at sponsorship deals, broadcasting deals. And and by the way, there are numerous clubs out there who do themselves no favours whatsoever. Do you know, you know a, a, a nation that I think is certainly comparable to us in terms of footballing level who really are riding the crest of a wave right now is Portuguese football. They are making a lot of big sales of players to big clubs. We've seen Diaz go to Liverpool and I know that was from Porto but you know, there's a lot of scouts looking in that market for players because they're seeing it as a market where there's a good quality of player that they can buy for a cheaper price and I don't see why we don't fit that mould personally. Well, you know, I think that the talent is there. This is the big thing about Scottish football. Um, the amount of, right, let's go be- beyond even first-team players, the amount of youth players leaving our game before they kick a ball for a Scottish football team shows you that the talent's there. Then, just look at some of the outgoings of the Premiership clubs this season. And you've got players leaving Hibs, Rangers and Aberdeen. And you're looking at these players and thinking, well, you know, big money or young Scottish talent who are going for decent cash. So the talent is in Scottish football, no doubt about it. The clubs, as I say, are partly to blame because they continually shoot themselves at the foot. In the foot, I mean, you just got to look at the the pricing of um, the food and drink at Celtic Park for the friendly games, right? And it was all over Twitter. So when when you've got that captive audience, don't abuse it. That's the first thing. Don't abuse the the fan who's already spent big money to get to the stadium and get inside the stadium. But then also, you've got clubs who um, you know they're they're in that view of. And I know JP had a an online discussion with Alan Burrows and Motherwell about this, clubs who don't maximise their income. 
mm. you know, when when it's obvious that you've got these two massive brands in Scottish football where wherever they play, there's a huge crowd. Maximise it. And a lot of clubs can't do that either. And then you've got the ineptitude of those governing the game in Scotland. So nothing surprises me. It shouldn't be that the champions are unfurling the flag after all the other fixtures have been played on the Saturday. That's just ridiculous. But they'll bend over and they'll take the uh, the poor broadcasting deal and the poor sponsorship deal, Laura, and they'll do as they're told. And I just think it's, you know, it, it's one of these things that as fans, what, what actually can you do? Because, you know, there's fans forums where you can let your feelings known to your own club. Um, but we've gone through a process in the last few years, the last decade or so, where... Um, it's proven that the governance of our game is not fit for purpose. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, something that most people would agree with. And I just, I don't know. I think it's, I think the pageantry and the the, the spectacle that is the unfurling of the, the league flag, regardless of who it's for, is, is a great way to kick off a season, at least for the fans of that club. And the fact that we're not going to be able to, to do that or experience that um, is it, just a great shame. And that's not even taking into account the Aberdeen fans who are having to travel down for a half-four kick-off on a Sunday, potentially having to get back up to work, make a three- or four-hour drive up the road, you know, on a Sunday night. But um, And know. then all the, all the Irish fans coming over. Um, yep. You know, there's no thought process. The, the, the huge amount of people that come over uh, from Ireland to watch the game and, you know, they're an afterthought, Laura. They're, mm. they're an absolute afterthought. And they should be at the forefront of the the planning of an event like this. But, again, it's one of the things, do I see it changing? Well, in my time supporting Scottish football and Celtic since 1987, it's got worse. The mm. governance of our game's got worse. And I don't see it improving anytime soon. Whenever there's a strong figure, um, you know, I, I just don't see them ever given the correct title in Scottish football. Whenever there is a strong figure in Scottish football, they never get the role that they deserve. I don't think. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's unfair on a lot of levels, and hopefully, it's something they can look at for the future. But as you say, I'm not holding out too much hope for it. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know it's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Um, let's look ahead to the game in question, regardless of the time it's being played. We are playing Aberdeen, who um, had a less than great um, game last season. I, I was at the Aberdeen game and, and um, interviewed Stephen Glass just prior to his um, departure from the club last, last year. Um, and they did struggle an awful lot, regardless of having what people saw as great signings, uh, one of them being our former captain, Scott Brown, last season. Um, it's not going to be the easiest opener that we've ever had, I would say, but we do always fare well against Aberdeen at Celtic Park as well, um, which is which is a great thing to see, regardless of their own size and history. Um, how do you see this going tomorrow, generally, for us? Or, or Sunday, I should say? Well... 
I think, like you say, we've got a really good record against Aberdeen, particularly at Celtic Park. But I think Aberdeen are going to be a different beast this season. Mm. Although they have lost a couple of their star players. Um, and one of those I am delighted to see away because he always scored against us. And that was um, your man Ferguson. Um, mm. And he was one of these players that's away to Italy. So he's gone and Calvin Ramsey's away. I, w- I like to look at him as well at Liverpool. They've spent a bit of cash have Aberdeen. They have spent a bit of cash and they've brought in quite a few players as well. Um, It's yet to be seen if they make the impact that uh, I'm sure the Aberdeen fans will be hoping for, but they they can't be much worse than they were last season. Take away the games against Rangers and Aberdeen were really poor last season. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think the appointment of Glass was a a disaster. Um, I, I rate Jimmy Goodwin really highly as a as a manager. I think his uh, progress has been tremendous. It's a kind of trajectory that I thought would have happened with Jack Ross when yeah. he, when when he's gone from Alawa to Saint Mirren. And I think the move after that for Jack Ross was an Aberdeen Stroke Hibs style move. But he went away down to Sunderland, and it might have came a wee bit too early for him. But I think Good Goodwin's a very good gaffer. Uh, he obviously has a Celtic state of mind as well. But we'll be too strong. Laura, I do think we'll be too strong for them. And But as I say, I think they'll give a very good account of themselves, Aberdeen. Yeah, uh, if anybody wants to see just how much Jim Goodwin can get under your skin, you just need to watch one of the most viewed videos on this channel when they when they beat us at Celtic Park. And I um, went on one of my infamous post-match rants that Jim, uh, our, our very own Jim, uh, warns me of. But um, yeah, he's... he's got an upward trajectory. Aberdeen is a, a, a fitting club for him as a manager. And it's a it's a exciting game, I think, for us as Celtic supporters to have Aberdeen coming to Celtic Park. But like you say, I've I've been at a game at Celtic Park where we beat them nine nil and, you know, blew them away. That was a number of years ago now. But it's just going to be interesting to see, like say, what kind of Don's team comes out comes out this season because you know, last season especially Beyond the games against Celtic and Rangers, like you said, they were very, very poor, and um, it wasn't any surprise to me that Stephen Glass was was let go, even though he himself came in with such a pedigree and such excitement from from fans of Aberdeen, not just because he was a former player, but because of his potential as a manager. Um, looking ahead, before we look at doing our lineups for tomorrow, I'm just looking at the fixtures for um, the rest of the seasons, or not not the rest of the season, but the rest of the month of August anyway. So we start with Celtic um, against Aberdeen on Sunday the 31st of July, followed by an away trip to Ross County, an away trip to Kilmarnock, home to Hearts, away to Dundee United. Um, then we've got the League Cup second round away to Ross County before the match against Rangers at Celtic Park on the 3rd of September. I have to say, Looking at that, if you ignore the fact that obviously Kilmarnock are newly promoted, usually Rugby Park is a reasonably difficult place to, for us to go. We're going to Tanadice, Ross County never make it easy. I mean, on the one hand, you could say that's a tough opening, but on the other hand, I think if you get through with as near to 100% points-wise there, you're, you've taken care of a lot of business in that first month, haven't you? You definitely have. And, and particularly when I was looking at all the teams this week and I'm, I'm looking at the likes of Hibs, and I'm on the fence with Hibs. I don't know how their season's going to go. Um, Aberdeen, like I was saying before, I think that they're going to be top six. You know, top yeah. six. Maybe maybe even top four. Um, but the one team that you mentioned from that run of fixtures that I think is a potential, and it might be obvious, and I think it's Ross County. Mm. Now, Malcolm McKay, I'm not a massive fan of Malcolm McKay, 
But when you look at the job that he's done at Ross County, um, I think he's done a phenomenal job, Laura. And again, some of our famous moments last season were against Ross County, of course. Uh, the one I'm thinking about is Tony Alston with that header. Someone yeah. posted it this morning and I never ever tired of watching that. What was it, 97th minute, 98th yeah. minute? Something like that. The, the only other goal I think is up there with that from last season was Leo Labada's winner against Dundee United. That was another oh. cracker. Yeah, I know, quite I know. Good memories, but yeah. Just that moment. Um, but again, you've just got to look at the fact they've lost their star man. Um, you know, so a lot of these players have lost big, big players. But they brought in 10 players at last count. So Malky McKay, when you look at the players they brought in, he's obviously got a very good contact book. Laura, I mean, I'm, I'm taking it for granted that Mackay has final say in recruitment up there. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe there's a system whereby that there's a different uh, process of decision making, but it does look as though Mackay has spread the net pretty wide. He's brought in 10 players. I think they're a bit of an unknown quantity at this stage. That's going to be a very, very difficult game up there, and it'll give us an idea as to how the cup game's going to go as well. Yeah, another unknown quantity, obviously, is Dundee United, no longer with manager Tam Courts, who's, who's headed... Unusually enough, over to Hungary. We'll need to get Kevin to keep tabs on him for us. I know, and he will, because uh, obviously we've got our man with the, his ear on the ground. I always thought it was... Listen, Tam Court's done a great job in that, but it was pretty funny because his dad, his own man, had a butcher shop in Cownbeath. And and when I used to work in Cownbeath, some of the boys used to go up there and get stuff out the butchers. And then when Tom, t- Thomas Courts gets his job at Dundee United, I'm just thinking, Tom Courts the butcher. Anyway, he's done <laughs> he's done very, very well. Um, and then Jack Ross, of course, back in the game. Yeah. A, ma- a manager who I've got to say, I don't want him as a manager of Celtic. I'll, I'll put that out there straight away because Kevin Graham used to, um, you know, put that out all the time. Uh, however, I think that the biggest mistake Hibbs made was getting rid of Jack Ross and I think he'll do really well. I was going to say the same thing. I I thought he was very, very harshly treated and I even thought actually his replacement, Sean Maloney, was very harshly treated by Hibbs. I don't think either of them did a particularly bad job. I don't know what Hibbs are expecting from their team or from their club because I think both Jack Ross and Sean Maloney, you know, sort of took them as far as either of them could take them and I'm not sure what they're expecting from from managers if, if those two haven't performed adequately. You, I, I was speaking to a hippie today um, he came in to the studio and he was talking about the fact that there's a frustration that the players switch it off and switch it on depending on whether or not they're you know the manager suited to them in their mind mm. so you've got a, you've got a group of players there who you know when you look at the finish it was a, the highest finish that a Hibs team had finishing third in about 18 years since Tony Mowbray was in charge with that great group of players on the Scottish Ross. Cup final as well yeah. Scottish Cup final they're in a semi-final when like they're getting a league cup final rather uh, by the time Jack Ross gets his jotters um, but again you know the Sean Maloney thing it's player power I don't know where that leaves Sean Maloney I don't know if he's a good coach that's left to be to, to be seen but I don't know where it leaves him in his career but it, it just seems to me that you've got a group of players there and I don't think that you can switch it on and off because momentum is massive in football mm-hmm. and and you know the pre-season might give you like a reset but the gaffers came in I thought looking on paper that he's brought in some decent players even though one of them was an accident they've brought in some good players at Hibs but it's not in the pre-season games and the League Cup games it's not really got going for them um, but yeah, Jack Ross for me. Th- there was also Le- let's not forget Leanne Dempster leaving Hibs. I think that yeah. was huge. That was massive. And uh, you just got especially to look when at you see the work she's putting in at Queens Park as well. Hundred percent. I think you know that that is a tale that 
it'll be interesting to see how they do. I know we're digressing a wee bit, but Leanne Dempster's uh, departure has been massive for Hibs as well as Jack Rossi's. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's interesting and something that we can maybe chat about in more depth as the season goes on because Scottish football, to me, as as we've touched on, is a very saleable market and there's plenty of interesting stories and things that we could talk about going forward, which I hope we do. Um, But let's get back to Celtic for the the last 10 minutes of the show before everybody starts putting in the chat, this is a Celtic show, talk about Celtic. We will do, we will do. Um, Let's let's go down the rabbit hole of um, predicted 11s. Now, Mm. beyond the fact that Ange is is a reasonably unpredictable character, let's start at the back. Uh, Who's between the sticks for you, considering... Joe Hart was such a major factor last season in our success. He, he shored things up where they could not be shored up so so often previously. Um, but our, our second choice keeper who's come in from Dundee United is a, is a strong contender as well. Do you, see, do you see any change between the sticks or will Joe Hart keep a hold of that number one jersey for now? I think um, Hart is definitely the number one. Um, Segrist has had a couple of no bad appearances pre-season. Bad do you know why I never said his name? Because I kept thinking Sieb Dykstra, but that's my age showing. Oh, Sieb Dykstra with that moustache. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Brilliant. Uh, and the chant, uh, he was a bit of a legend. Uh, Joe, Joe Hart, for me, I think needed the signing of a of a Seagrist. I almost said Sieb, uh, of a Seagrist. Uh, just like Taylor needed the signing of a Burnaby. And I think that what we're going to see there is two players who know that there can be no wiggle room there in terms of their performances. Taylor finished the season, I know I'm jumping a wee bit, but Taylor finished the season off really, really well and definitely has a number three shorts. Joe Hart's, for me, number one every single day of the week. Um, Until such times as, you know, he goes through a a dip in form or, or injury. But also I think that Ange is looking at that and thinking, well, you know, there might be occasions where Joe needs a, a wee rest. So yeah. you give him that you give him that rest and you've got Seagrest. I wasn't confident with other goalies we had last season, but I'm I'm confident with Seagrest coming in. Yeah, I would I would think he's a bit as strong a second choice keeper as as any team in the league would have, because I, I, I really thought he was quite outstanding in some performances for Dundee United, especially against us. It wouldn't surprise me if that's how he caught Ange's eye, because I'm pretty sure Ange hadn't arrived from Japan saying I want that goalkeeper from Dundee United, but who knows, I may be wrong. Um but I have to agree with your first choices. I think Joe Hart will stick between between the sticks and I think um Taylor will be at left back uh, until such times as as he does something to lose that jersey because I think he has earned it. Before we look at the other choices, um what about system going forward? Like I think, you know, for all intents and purposes, as much as we talk about the inverted fullbacks and the dynamic way in which the formation changes when we're in possession. It is essentially a 4-3-3 that we've been playing uh, most of the last season. Do you see us sticking with that shape or is there going to be any change to that, do you think? I think he will stick to that. And, I, and you know, from reading between the lines, because everything Anne says, you pour over it, don't you? You, you watch every press conference, you read every interview. Um, and I don't think he's going to change that at all, even in the European games. Um, and by the way there there is such a thing as this cavalier approach being a traditional Celtic kind of approach you go back to the great sides of the 60s and 70s and the way that they played their game with one exception being the away game against Dukla Prague mm. where, we, where we defended just to get through the tie in 1967 but I think that um, we've seen how it doesn't work under Brendan Rodgers 
And and yeah. I think that's maybe at the forefront of a lot of our minds, Laura. We get a wee bit worried. If you come up against the big guns and you try and go toe-to-toe and play this brand of football, there is this possibility that they'll just pick away at you. Um, and, and the worst thing sometimes you can do is go ahead against them because they'll score five or seven goals against you. But it's going to be an interesting uh, development. But I said during the week as well, and I know again I'm digressing a wee bit, but I'm going to go into the European side of things. I used the two games against Leverkusen last season and, and I used the two of them as a gauge because I think that in the first game, now get, correct me if I'm wrong, you covered the game, didn't you? Tony and I were at it and you covered it. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And I, I remember coming away from that being hugely disappointed with our performance mm-hmm. and then watching back the post-match where you guys were quite positive. So I'm think, so you, you kind of check yourself before you get back on the bulletin you watch the game in the morning and then you've got a different perspective on it. But, you know, looking back on that, I think they picked they picked up naiveties in our team, albeit some of the goals were individual errors and the penalty kick, for me, was very, very soft. It was harsh against Carter Vickers. Couldn't get out of the road of that. Mm-hmm. And the 4-0 scoreline at home, you're looking at that thinking that's a pasting at home. But when you compare the second game away from home and the way that we... I mean, listen... We were eight minutes away from winning that game. We yeah. were up with eight minutes to go. And if you get the, the two points, I know it's all you know fantasy here, but if you get those two points, you qualify for the next the next stage. Yeah. Um, and obviously there was frailties in at the back and we lost the game 3-2 in the end. But if you compare the two games, I think what it proves is that Ange didn't play in European football before, but he learns very quickly. And yeah. I think those two games show that. The game at home, the game away. How, and there's only two months between the games and how quickly Ange Postacoglu learned his lesson. And I think we're going to see elements of that in the Champions League. I think mistakes will be made. And it's maybe next season before we see the advantage of how Ange looks at that data, looks at the style, looks at the approach and then changes it. But it might be next season before we see the benefit yeah. of um, the way that he approaches his game and how quickly he learns his lesson. Yeah. Uh, it's the story of being a Celtic supporter in Europe, unfortunately, for as long as I can remember. That uh, you know, if it hadn't been for that this mistake or that mistake, we we would have got further. But um, it's hopefully something we can rid ourselves of, uh, and going into this season, or at least as you say, into maybe next season. But I'm sure Angie's mouth will be watering at the prospect of going up against some of the some of the coaches of the standard that he's going to be up against in the Champions League, and I think. That's the next big thing we're all looking forward to is the draw for the group stages, which can't be too far away now. Um, August, uh, can't come quickly enough. No, exactly, exactly. Um, going back to, to Sunday and to Aberdeen, um, we've talked about goalkeeper and left-back. The back line's going to be an interesting one, especially at centre-back. We've obviously got Starfelt, who's not featured too much in the pre-season. We've got new permanent signing Cameron Carter-Vickers, Stephen Welsh, who we talked a little bit about beforehand. Um who do you see being your, your pairing for Sunday more specifically, but also going forward into the season? Is it going to be Carter Vickers and Starfell? Is Jens going to make an appearance when he comes back from injury? Where do you see it going? Well, I think that, like yourself, Stephen Welsh has done really, really well. I mean, you look at his his introduction to the Celtic side, basket case of a season right and I always go back to that picture of him devastated when he's thrown in the, in the 2-0 game at Celtic Park against Rangers devastated sitting there and Olivier and Cham's kind of looking over as if you know 
what you worried about, mate, kind of thing. Um, and I think it was the hardest introduction ever for a young player that season. And I thought he equipped himself very, very well. And then you've got last season where the chances were few and far between because you had this brilliant partnership developing between Starfelt and Carter Vickers, which I think, I'm in no doubt, is still the two first picks at centre-half when fit. But what Welsh has got is he's got the confidence in knowing that Ange wants him because he's knocked back two deals, Udinese and Toulouse. Mm. Um, and it's quite clear that he's his second choice because when there's an injury to Carl Starfelt, he doesn't go to Chris Julian and put him straight in. Stephen Welsh has been that kind of first first choice uh, in the absence of Starfelt. Yeah. So I think that Welsh needs to look at this scenario similarly to where Tony Ralston was this time last season and think, right, all the circumstances has allowed me to get some game time. Let's prove myself here. Now, when Starfield comes back in, I'm pretty sure he's going to be the first choice, but does he get thrown back in or does Welsh still have a few games? It all depends on his performances, doesn't it? And then you add the extra element of Jens, who I think we would have seen a, a performance from, maybe half an hour from, uh, on Sunday if he was fit. Um, and that just shows the, the depth that we're starting to build. Julian, again, some people might, might think I'm harsh. I just don't think he's at the races. I really don't. Yeah, it's, well, it tells you everything I think about Julian's chances that I forgot to even mention him and breaking down who we had uh, as a choice, which tells you probably where he is in a lot of Celtic supporters' minds. But we'll see what happens. I personally uh, think Carter Vickers is there no matter what, if as long as he stays fit. Starfelt, I still think there's a possibility of an upgrade from him and I, I would like to see if Jens is that upgrade but um, until then, I think Starfelt um, remains first choice at the centre-back position with with Carter Vickers. Um, right back, uh, we still have Juranovic at this point. Um, there has been talk of him obviously moving on but um, I would say personally he's my first choice with Anthony Ralston as a more than decent backup going into the season. Um, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Do you agree with that summation? I do, and um, I, I'm going to stick my, my dig my heels in here and say Champions League music equals no sales, and hopefully Zhiranovic uh, will be a Celtic player this season. <laughs> now, I feel a bit sorry for Ralston at this stage because I think he's been far superior to Juranovic in the pre-season. Mm-hmm. Now, you go back to the first comment you pulled up, pre-season means nothing. Um, if Juranovic gets picked ahead of Ralston, he might be thinking the same because that, his performances have been brilliant. You know, yeah. goal-saving challenges and all that kind of stuff, what we tend to expect from Tony Ralston now. But if you're looking at the strongest 11 and what I expect Ange also to take that into account, what he's going to select, I think Juranovic starts. Um, but very much like Turnbull and Abada, who won't start for me. Um, you've got no doubts about these guys. I mean, they, these are strong, strong replacements. If the likes of Juranovic is out, hopefully just temporarily, because I don't want him to move permanently. Um, but yeah, JJ at right back, Taylor at left back, Carter Vickers and Melson in the middle. That's my defence for Sunday. Yeah, I'm, I'm in total agreement with that. And it's going to be interesting to see if Ange uh, follows our lead and names that. Because we all know he's watching this show to, to make his decisions. Uh, or I would like to think so anyway. Something that makes me doubt that, but we'll, we'll see. Um, moving on into the midfield. Liam Downey brings up an interesting point here on YouTube. Ange has been dabbling with a double pivot in midfield. Now, most of what we've seen last season was a holding midfielder of some description. Whether it was McGregor, whether it was... Um, beat on whether it was somebody else um, and then the two attacking midfielders which was most often uh, O'Reilly and Rogic or um, 
O'Reilly and Hatati, O'Reilly and McGregor, some mix of the of of those players and that that number of players. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know it's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. We do have other options there now. Turnbull's obviously back to full fitness. We've brought in Aaron Moy. Um, Idiguchi, excluding this this recent injury, should hopefully be more of an option for us going forward. Do you see us dabbling in that that double pivot that the that the commenter was talking about? Um, or do you see us sticking with the previous shape? And who do you see taking up those spaces for you? I, I do think we'll revert back to the tried and tested and, and what we know can work. Also, I'm of the view, Laura, that when it comes to a defensive midfielder, how often do you need that in Scottish football, particularly mm. at home? You know, at home. And when you've got a player like McGregor, who I wouldn't describe as being a defensive midfielder, although I know he can play that role, um, he has got enough attributes to be playing the, the old school number eight while still playing that anchor when required. It's a wee bit like, you know, I, I am old school in my, my kind of views on how a midfield shapes and you've got a 6, an 8 and a 10 whereby, you know, 8 is your, your old school Paul McStay player who kind of links back to front. Um, yep. Your number 6 is generally the more defensive player and your number 10 is that flair player who kind of links uh, middle, to, middle to front. And, and I think that what we've got there is three players who are who are definitely starters and two of them I wouldn't say are defensive midfielders in Hatati and McGregor, but like we said mm. at the beginning of the show, they are more than capable of doing that job. And then when you can, and, and they're first picks for me, Hatati and McGregor, with um, O'Reilly as, as your number 10. Turnbull has been brilliant so far in pre season, so it's going to again seem a wee bit harsh on Turnbull, as it will for Ralston, not to start. Uh, but in terms of the strongest 11, I don't think he's quite there yet. If he, if he turns in that kind of performance in competitive games, then he's going to end up being in the starting 11. Um, but that, for me, is the strongest part of our part of our, of, of our team at the moment. And it's been strengthened by Aaron Moy. Um, there was a wee bit of, co- you know, not even controversy, but a bit of criticism of that signing, I think, afterwards. Not particularly on Axel. I, I can't remember anybody saying it was a bad sign on Axel. Um, and it's yet to be seen. But I just think, again, low risk. He's got all the attributes defensively. You know, he's got the attributes um, attacking uh, offensively as well. Bit of criticism after his debut. Cut the guy a bit slack. Let him get into the groove of it. And I think he'll be a very, very good squad player. But he is behind those three that I've mentioned. Um, and he's also behind David Turnbull when it comes to selection. Yeah. So the Aaron Moy thing is an interesting one. Because I think Brian and I talked about it last week. And I think the, the, only, the only way in we w- which we thought it was maybe not a great signing was that we had always thought that the intention behind every signing was to sign better players than you already had. I don't know that Moy fits that description, but I think he certainly bridges a gap in terms of quality between what what some of the choices are. So between, say, 
you know, a, a, a Hatati and a McCarthy, if you want to compare those two players, he definitely bridges that gap in terms of quality. And I think he can certainly um, be a useful option for us because, as everybody knows, uh, using an entire squad full of players is important. But I, I have to say I'm in mostly in agreement with you for the midfield. McGregor and, and O'Reilly are, are no-brainers for me. Based on current form, I would say Hatati would take the other position for me. I'm a big fan of David Turnbull, as everybody knows. Um, what I would hope to see from him this season that would potentially make him more um, more competitive with Hatati for that shirt is I would just like to see him speed up his game a little bit more to match the other players in the squad. I think before his injury last season, he was guilty a little bit of slowing the play down compared to other players, but it certainly didn't show in the selection sense because Ange selected him every game he had him available pretty much so uh, you know maybe he likes a bit of that element in the midfield as well but I certainly would like to see him up his tempo uh, if he's going to fit into this squad this season and maybe he's had a chance to do that um, working with the manager for a bit longer but I think going right now I would have to agree with your first choices of O'Reilly, McGregor and Hitati. Do you think that's fair on Turnbull or do you think he can just offer a bit something different um, if he keeps his game the way it is. Well, the unfortunate thing with Turnbull is uh, it was just timing. It was bad, very bad timing for him to drop out the squad with injury when he did last year because he's gone into that season as a young player of the year. Um, he was kind of like the breakthrough star of Neil Lennon's final season in charge. And he, he was basically picked every time he was fit under Ange Postacoglu. But then, whilst he's injured, we bring in some very, very good options, two of whom hit the ground running. Um, and it just so happens that both of them are midfield players. So now Turnbull's in a position where he, is, I think, has shown in pre-season what he can do, but he needs to do it in the competitive games. I don't want a player like Turnbull to get frustrated. He's at an age, Laura, where he needs to play games. But, I mean, it's healthy in one respect in that we've got a really strong squad and we've got strong backups uh, but you don't want a player like him to get frustrated because um, he's obviously got aspirations to play for Scotland which means you've got to be getting games if he's not getting games he might you know looking ahead to uh, the end of this year he might start getting frustrated you don't want that you want to try and keep a happy camp all the time and with that in mind Hattati played a lot of games last year sometimes mm. you were thinking this boy's crying out for a rest and then the starting 11 would come up again and he was picked again so it gives us that option to, to mix it up a little bit as well and um, again I'm expecting huge things from O'Reilly this season I think that he is going to be key to our success and again I, I just think every challenge that he's had he's rose to it and now he's going to have that challenge of Champions League football and I'm looking forward to seeing players like him and Atati and Carter Vickers and how they're going to rise to that occasion as well. Going back to that point about Moy that you made, uh, I guess that my question would be where, if Moy comes in and starts performing the way we know he can, um, yet he's maybe been a couple of years out, and I don't mean out the game, but out the public eye of playing um, high-level Premiership football, right? If he starts playing at some kind of level that we know he can, where does it leave McCarthy? Yeah. I, I, listen, my my thoughts on James McCarthy have been well aired on this podcast. I thought it was I thought it was a mistake to sign him when we did. It was even more of a mistake to give him a four year contract. Um, and I think the signings that have been made only prove that even more so to be the case because it screamed of, especially when he was talking in the initial pr press conference about 
that the move had been on the cards for a number of years and now the time felt right. That just felt to me like a slap in the face to the new manager, like a slap in the face to a lot of the people who have come into the club since. And I'm not blaming James McCarthy specifically for that, but I think it says an awful lot about the circumstances in which his move came about. And if we've learned anything about Ange over the last season, it's uh, that he's not going to be told to play a player. Um, and so, unfortunately, what we have is a situation where you get James McCarthy earning what I imagine is a very nice pay packet for doing not very much. And I don't think that's his fault. I don't think that's the manager's fault. I just think the circumstances of the signing were 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 poor on most 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 levels. You know, I, I think you look at the early signings, right? And um, some I, I reckon will be legacy legacy uh, targets um, deals that may have started prior to Ange coming in. It's a bit unfair on the player, certainly unfair on the manager. But you compare that to the kind of later signings and you think, well, there has been a, a change. I mean, Zazi Irigidi was never a player that Ange signed. Never a player Ange signed, right? Because we know that that deal and the deal for Liam Shaw were already in the mix. Mm. Was the McCarthy deal already in? So it's a difficult situation for the player to be in if he comes to a club and then very quickly realises right, it wasn't the gaffer that purchased me, it was somebody else. Um, you remember Paddy McCourt talking about that. He turns up at training, Gordon Stratton didn't really know who he was. And, yeah. um, you know, that that can't be very comfortable for the player. And then the manager's got a guy that he's, he's then got to make a decision on, but he's already there. You know, most managers yeah. get a chance to make that decision on bringing the player in, but he's already there. And um, it didn't get going for James McCarthy. Uh, and I'm not, 100% confident that it will this season either. The fact that we're still looking for other midfielders, there's a couple of names in the press over the last couple of days that have been linked to Celtic. So you think to yourself, where does it leave the likes of James McCarthy? Um, and again, on that contract, that bumper contract that he's got, it might be a loan deal to get him games. Yeah. Um, Michael McDonald says, you're guessing. We are guessing. That's all we can do because we don't have an inside line at the club who can tell us. And even if we did, I don't think they would. Um, but you've got to go on timelines. You've got to go on what you know about the way the football world works. And that's that's my opinion based on, on how I know these things work. Um, but, you know, if anybody wants to come out from Celtic and tell, tell me I'm incorrect in that assertion they'd be more than welcome to we'll, we'll wait and see if that happens um, we're running a bit over time but we've still got to cover the forward line so we'll do that quickly before we head off Paul John as everybody knows we could sit and talk Celtic for hours and frequently do which is what we're doing right now forward line options are there Yakimakis um, Furuhashi hopefully back to full fitness Leo Labada James Forrest Jota now permanently signed who's, who's your front three? and again this is based on uh what happened last season, how their season finished, but also the performances in pre-season, because you could not possibly leave Maeda out of the team based on the performances in the pre-season. So he starts for me on the right, Jota's on the left, Kyo goes through the middle. Is that the strongest three? Well, based on current form, I think it is. Um, as we go through the season, you will see that interchanging. You'll see games by Abada. You'll see James Forrest getting games. Not sure Mikey Johnson will get many games. And you'll get Yakimakis coming in. And perhaps even a third striker. But at this moment in time, I think you start with Mieda, Kyogo and Jota. 
That's that's an interesting one for me because I I would say on form again I think I probably agree with your choices but if you ask me my ideal one uh, form sheet out the window I really like the look last season when they were flying of Jota on the left um, Kyogo through the middle and Abado on the right I thought they pr- produced an awful lot of really good performances I think it says a lot that neither of us are really considering James Forrest in the picture because uh, I think it's clear from last season that um, his his only opportunity now is probably as a, a filler for any of those front three positions now. Um, it might be because of injuries that he's had or, or certainly just his age for a player who's relied on pace so much in the past. But it'll be interesting to see how he features this season. But you can't take the shirt away from Maeda, from Jota or from Kyogo, I don't think, um, going into this first game. But to have those options on the bench as well is fantastic. It is, and I think they'll interchange. You've seen a wee bit of that in the pre-season, Jota and Maeda will interchange and switch. Uh, but yeah, you're you're talking about guys like Forrester, Bader, Turnbull, Ralston. You know, that's a strong, strong bench. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's important as well, particularly when we get into the European games. When you look at some of the early benches last season, it was so, so weak. And we were crying out for changes because we weren't happy sometimes with the performances. But you look on the bench, there was no options, particularly offensively. And I just think that uh, there's far more options now for... For Ange, um, I don't know if you want a prediction for the score on Sunday, Laura. Go for it. 3-0 Celtic. I am going to, just so I'm not agreeing with you on every every portion, I'm going to say 4-0 Celtic. I can see Kyogo getting a wee brace in there, which I would quite like to see. Let's revisit this next week and see if uh, we are just guessing or if we've well, got any kind of idea of what's going on. Listen, I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't like to uh, go back through the history of my predictions and uh, suggest that I'm any any kind of uh, mistake made when it comes to these things. But I hope I've got something something right uh, over the season anyway. But uh, we shall see. The big day is upon us. Finally, we'll be getting back into the thing that matters: the football. Uh, and we will be here for all of it to see uh, each and every one of you in the comments. Join us for the match coverage as always on Axom. Uh, subscribe if you haven't done and you'll get notifications when we go live on Sunday for that Paul John it's been a pleasure this Friday to be joined by you Uh, hopefully it happens again soon thanks to everybody in the comments for watching and we will see you again this weekend phone companies say they offer home internet but if their internet comes from a cell phone network you should know it's just phone internet not home internet keep your home up to speed with cox cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5g home internet cox is the real home internet you're looking for Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. 
our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.